Hello, this is Fight Back, a podcast by the Healthcare Consumer Rights Foundation. I'm Steve Poisoner, healthcare consumer advocate, founder, and executive director. Our nonprofit's mission is to help you navigate the complex healthcare system and understand your legal rights, options, and opportunities when you encounter problems and obstacles. We want to empower you with the information you need to fight back and get the best possible care. We all know that trained service animals have helped those with disabilities for a long time. Helping a blind person navigate through a public environment, for example. But did you know that trained service canines can do much more, like keeping track of your blood sugar level and warning you of an impending medical issue? Or be trained to pick up and move household items that may have dropped or otherwise not in the necessary reach of their disabled owners. Or that canine companions play a huge role in the therapeutic treatment for veterans and others with PTSD. On this Fight Back episode, we dive into the world of service animals, from the breeding and training of canine companions to the laws governing their identification and use. We will cover it and much more. Our special guests, Michelle Williams, Public Relations and Marketing Coordinator for Canine Companions, one of the leading nonprofits in the United States that matches service dogs to clients, and Stephanie Lund, a volunteer breeder of service canines. They both join us today to talk about the world of service animals. Let's get started. Hi, Michelle Williams and Stephanie Lund from Canine Companions. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. Sure. So uh, this is close to my 50th uh, Fight Back podcast on on healthcare issues. And I've been looking forward to this one for a long time because my family and I, you know, we've been such uh, dog lovers for 40 some odd years. Uh, We absolutely uh, are huge fans of the breed. As a, as a, pet owner, you know, we've, we just have learned to admire just the amazing skill set of canines, you know, the, the, uh, super sharp hearing, smell, eyesight, the, the ability to learn, uh, the ability to build these close, you know, working relationships you know, just canines are just uh, awesome animals, but that's from a, a, you know, a pet owner's point of view. And I know a lot of our listeners, you know, are, have dogs as pets and they can fully appreciate what I'm saying. But from your point of view as, you know, professionals, you know, uh, tapping into the amazing skill sets of canines, for, you know, for, you know, therapy and service assistance, why are you all so excited about, you know, working with, with canines and, and what do you see in terms of their skill set that's a good fit for your, the mission of, of your organization? Yeah, um, I'll go ahead and and take that one to start. Uh, Again, thank you so much for having us on. Um, I'm Michelle Williams. I work for Canine Companions and feel very lucky uh, to do that. You you gave us a great intro. Uh, Those of us who have, you know, pet dogs know the power of that human-canine bond. Um, And at Canine Companions, uh, we realized 
uh, that could go further, you know, that dogs could do practical tasks for people with disabilities to really enhance their independence. So we were founded in Northern California in 1975, and uh, we were the first uh, organization to provide this type of uh, service dogs to people with disabilities. And, and since then, we've become the largest uh, nonprofit provider of service dogs across the country. So we have six training centers across the country, including in um, in Northern California, where we're headquartered. And we really find uh, that these dogs, uh, Labrador retrievers, golden retrievers, and crosses of the two breeds are really perfect for the type of work that we're looking for them to do. Um, they're natural retrievers, uh, first off, and one of the main commands that our clients uh, need their dogs to do for them is to retrieve items off the ground and deliver them uh, to their partner. Um, so that's a huge bonus. Um, also, uh, another really, really important thing about these dogs is that they are so into people, you know, uh, they just fall in love with their breeder caretakers, uh, then their volunteer puppy raisers, uh, and then their trainers. And then they're eventually they're the person that they're matched with a person with a disability. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that journey, but, um, we find that labs and golden retrievers are really perfect for this type of work for just a number of reasons. Got it. Uh, so let's just start off with some definitions for our listeners, you know, what is the, uh, the difference between a, you know, a service dog versus a therapy dog versus an emotional support dog? Sure. Yeah. Um, that's great. I think it's, it's really important for people to understand the differences there. Um, a, an emotional support dog is a pet that is going to provide emotional support to someone. Um, they just have public access and housing. So they're not able to go out in public um, with their handler um, unless it's a place where um, pet dogs are allowed. Um, so that is an emotional support animal. Um, a therapy dog is a, a wonderful pet that has been given permission to provide, you know, love and comfort in a facility. So they don't have public access anywhere else um, but that facility that they've been allowed to go. And their main role is to provide love and comfort. Um, and then service animals, uh, like canine companion service dogs, uh, do practical tasks for people with disabilities to really enhance their independence. So, uh, for example, our dogs, uh, pick up dropped items, turn on and off lights, open and close doors. Um, some of them even pull someone in a manual wheelchair. Uh, so those are some idea of some of the practical tasks. Um, also, you know, for people who are deaf or hard of hearing, our dogs alert them to important sounds in their environment. Um, for veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder, they can interrupt anxiety behavior and interrupt nightmares, um, as well as provide, you know, additional space in, in public. Um, so some really important, uh, important tasks that these dogs will do. That's what really separates them. And then of course, service animals, service dogs, like canine companion service dogs have public access anywhere where the public can be, um, our handlers with disabilities with their service dogs are able to go. This, this access to public facilities, you know, grocery stores and restaurants and such, is, is this, this is a national federal law or is it a state law or both? Uh, that's right. Uh, it's a federal law under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And um, there are different laws kind of um, 
you know, we, there are laws passed all the time, kind of, uh, differentiating, um, service dogs from therapy dogs or from emotional support dogs. And that's something that canine companions definitely supports. Um, what sometimes there are fraudulent service dogs and what we call fraudulent service dogs, animals that are brought into public that aren't properly trained. And it really makes it difficult uh, for people who really need service dogs and rely on them every day uh, to, to be in public with them. So um, yeah, it is a federal law and we hope people will, you know, abide by that. Right. So what does a person have to do to qualify to receive you know, a, a service dog? Well, uh, really to receive a service dog, you just need to be someone with a disability that a service dog could, could benefit, you know, they could benefit from a service dog, but more specifically for canine companions, um, we, we, provide dogs to people with a wide variety of disabilities. It's actually over 65 different disabilities, including people with um, spinal cord injuries, uh, muscular dystrophy, cerebral palsy, um, like I mentioned, veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, adults with hearing loss, people who are deaf or hard of hearing, um, and then also children with a number of disabilities, um, including, you know, cerebral palsy, things like that. Um, also autism and down syndrome. Um, so really, um, a huge number of people and, and the way that someone would, you know, apply to receive a service dog from canine companions is it all starts online. Go to our website, canine.org slash apply. You can read more about our dogs. Um, you know, read about if a dog would be right for your situation. And if our dogs perform the commands that you're looking for them to do, uh, and it all starts with an online application. Uh, from there, it it goes to a phone interview, then an in-person interview. You'll come to um, your closest regional center in the United States um, and have an in-person interview. Uh, and then you'll be invited to a two-week team training class where our students actually live on our campus for two weeks and are matched with their perfect dog and learn how to use, how to use all the commands the dogs know. The dogs know actually over 40 commands. So it's a lot for the people to learn as well. Gotcha. And, and Stephanie, you're, you're a volunteer for Canine uh, Companions and you, you help on the, the, the raising of puppies who then get turned over to trainers, right? So tell us a little bit about, you know, your view of, of uh, you know, what it, what it takes, you know, for, you know, a, a puppy to grow into and be trained for, you know, one of these, these jobs. Well, our uh, family decided to be breeder caretakers with Canine Companions. We are volunteers. Uh, we get the fun job, but it does come with a lot of work in the eight weeks that we have the puppies when they are born. Um, we have Fern, who is our the breeder dog through Canine Companions. Um, we have her here, but she is still technically working for Canaan Companions, um, her job is to be a breeder and to have the puppies. Uh, we take care of Fern. We take her to her doctor's appointments when it's time for her to be assessed to make sure that she is 100% healthy and able to whelp. We take her to uh, Canaan Companions in Santa Rosa where they do a full evaluation. They decide if she is healthy to breed and at that point, uh, she stays there for a couple of weeks to make sure everything goes well. She comes back to us. Um, they're pregnant for, Michelle, is it about 62 days? Is that correct? 
you know, I believe so. You would know better than me. <laughs> I, it sometimes feels like longer, but sometimes feels like shorter, especially with this being our second go at it. Um, but we end up uh, doing the whelp here and in our home, and we birth the puppies with um, the help of other breeder caretakers that have more experience than us. Um, since we've only been doing this for a little over a year, we have helpers that actually come into our home um, that have been doing this for 20 years, and they helped us with her first whelp. And um, then we have the puppies for eight weeks. We take care of them, but mama does the majority of the work for us until it's time to clean up for them. Then they go to headquarters at eight weeks old where they do a health check. And if they are deemed healthy, then they go to their puppy raisers and the puppy raisers have them for about a year and a half, give or take, where they go everywhere with them and they basically socialize the dogs before they go and learn their jobs that they could possibly have in the future. And Stephanie, you make it sound so, I don't know if you guys are catch, catching this. She makes it sound so easy. This is such a huge commitment. Um, Stephanie and her family and all of our other volunteer breeder caretakers, it is just a huge labor of love. Um, lots of cleanup, lots of puppy food that they've gone through, lots of puppy poop to pick up. You know, it's a huge labor um, and we really couldn't do it without them. So. Wow. Uh, it does sound like uh, a huge amount of work, but it must be amazing too, just to, to see the whole birth process and to see these, you know, uh, these cute little puppies, you know, grow up too. So I, I, I bet you it's uh, heartwarming. It is. It's been a wonderful experience for our family as well. My son that's 15 and is in high school, uh, he decided he really wanted to help with this, but he was hands-on with the whelp. Um, he did better with our first whelp than I did, which was quite amazing. Um, and then even my daughter, who just turned six years old, um, she's learning how to help puppies, how to bathe them, how to take care of them. Um, she has her own little play doctor kit where she's, you know, pretending to listen to their heart and things um, that she is learning from a medical standpoint. Even at six years old, it fascinates me what she's picking up. Um, my husband also, he is a disabled veteran. Um, he does not need a service dog 24 hours a day, but just in the year and a half that we have had Fern, the bond that she and my husband have formed and the time that they've been spending together, um, they are just two peas in a pod and she's a part of our family. She has, you know, blessed us and done more for us than we ever could have imagined. Even though we're volunteering, we've gotten so much out of the experience ourselves. Oh, fantastic. So, uh, I assume you know, the, the, there's such a huge variety in, in dogs in terms of their personality and their propensity to be trained and that kind of thing. I, I assume part of the, of the training process is to, is to spot certain characteristics that, you know, work better, for, you know, to, to become a service animal versus others. Is that the way it works? That's right. We are always, what we say about our breeder dogs like Fern, who Stephanie and her family have, is they are really the best of the best. So we're when we're selecting, um, we've had our own breeding program for um, over 40 years um, since our founding. And what we've really found is that we we breed for, you know, we breed out medical conditions. Um, we also breed for calm temperament and um, trainability. Um, and we've really found um, that these dogs, 
dogs are just incredible. Like when you meet one of our puppies, what I often hear is, oh my gosh, my dog isn't like this, or I've never met a puppy that's this calm or this well-trained. Well, it's not all, you know, it is a huge labor of love. Like I said, um, the volunteers uh, that put their heart and soul into these dogs and give them so much training. Um, But it is also a huge part, um, the breeding. We really breed for calm temperament and, um, and excellent trainability. Right. Now, uh, you mentioned that there's, um, there's some fraud in this sector here in terms of, of, of people who uh, want to take their dogs everywhere and, and pretend that they're service dogs and they're not. And in addition, I, I think you know, as in preparing for this podcast, I, there's, there's some articles about uh, on websites, sort of, you know, uh, these national registries that are really scams, not, not really a place to register a dog so they can be all of a sudden become a service dog, right? Say a little bit more about all, all of these things for sort of buyer beware out there so that, you know, our listeners can be on the lookout for, uh, these, these kinds of scams. Yeah, well, I guess the important thing to remember is really that there uh, currently is no national registry and, you know, a vest, vests are sold online, you know, everywhere. So, uh, a service dog is so much more than a vest. Um, our dogs wear blue vests that say canine companions on them. A lot of times that does help identify a service animal. Um, but it's really about their behavior and, and what they do for their person. Um, so the two things that really, that really makes a service dog is, you know, are they performing a practical task, uh, for someone with a disability and, um, you know, are they with that person at that time? Um, they can't, you know, a service dog isn't a service dog without their person. They need to be providing a service, um, and they need to be properly behaved in public. Uh, so if you see a dog that looks like a service dog, maybe has a vest on or somebody's calling it a service dog, but it's not behaving appropriately, it can still be asked to leave the business. Um, it should also, you know, it should behave appropriately and it should be providing a, a you know, doing a task for someone with a disability or, or that's their main purpose. Um, so I think, uh, the thing to remember is that, you know, you can, there are vests that can be purchased anywhere. Um, it's, it's so much more than that, that makes a service dog. It's really their behavior and their ability to perform practical tasks for people with disabilities. So we would just encourage people to not try to bring their pets in public where they're not allowed. Um, and, um, and just, you know, follow the rules. Um, we, we love dogs. Of course, I love dogs. I'd love to bring my dog everywhere. I just know how very important it is for people with, with legitimate service dogs, uh, to be able to safely and efficiently move, uh, through the public. Right. So tell us a little bit more about the training that happens. I guess it, for that's from the eight weeks to the, to the one year mark. Uh, and are those volunteers too? Those are volunteers as well. Yeah. Um, So Stephanie and wonderful people like her start the puppies off for the first eight weeks and really set them up for success. Uh, Then they go to their volunteer puppy raisers all across the country. And I think that's something I should mention too. Uh, Our volunteer breeder caretakers are within 90 miles of our Santa Rosa, California campus. So because they have to come to campus for breeding and and veterinary appointments, uh, those volunteers do have to be within about 90 miles 
miles of our Santa Rosa, California campus. Uh, but then uh, the puppy raisers, the volunteer puppy raisers are all over the country. Um, we have puppy raisers from here to New York to Florida, uh, really in, in all 50 states. So um, those puppy raisers take the puppies from when they're eight weeks old to when they're about a year and a half. And they teach them um, socialization. They teach them about 30 or so commands, uh, really try to introduce them to all sorts of sights, sounds, smells, and people uh, just to get them ready for, for life as a service dog. Um, and like I said, they teach them about 30 commands. Uh, then they'll turn their dogs into one of our professional training centers. Um, so I always say this is so rewarding and heartbreaking because you do love this dog and you turn it in um, and you know that it's going to go do something amazing. Uh, so then our professional trainers uh, teach the dogs the more advanced commands like picking up dropped items, turning on and off lights, opening and closing doors, um, other other things like that, like the commands I mentioned for um, people who are deaf or hard of hearing or for veterans with um, PTSD. Um, and then they're matched with uh, their person over that two-week team training. So um, it's it's pretty incredible all the work that goes into these dogs for about two years. Uh, and then they're matched with with their person. Yeah, I, I actually had the, the privilege of, of being at a graduation ceremony. And it's, 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 it's pretty... <laughs> It's a pretty traumatic thing, you know. These these people who've been uh, as volunteers, you know, raising the puppies for a year or so, and then and then they graduate. And it's it's uh, what a, an amazing big heart these these trainers have, you know, and the, these puppy raisers because they're, they they've built these bonds, right? And then they they're uh, but the dog is has a mission in life, and they and it's and when they graduate, they move on, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've raised a couple puppies for Canine Companions or a couple of us, um, a pretty good amount of us staff members who are also volunteers um, at different times. And I always say it is, you know, so rewarding and heartbreaking because you just love that dog, but it's also so rewarding. You know, you want it to go do you know, service work and do something better. And I, and I asked a, a volunteer, one of our volunteer puppy raisers about this before, and she described it in the best way. I always love to quote her because she said something like, um, you know, I love this dog, but I don't need this dog. And there's someone out there who needs this dog. Um, and it still gives me chills every time I talk about that. I just thought that was uh, so wonderfully the way she put that, um, that, you know, of course we love our puppies that we raise, um, but somebody else really needs them. Right. And, and Stephanie, you, you mentioned uh, your husband as a vet and, uh, um, and Michelle, you've mentioned, you know, how, how vets uh, can be, um, a great match for some of these service dogs, but, but, but Stephanie, maybe a little bit more about uh, veterans out there that might be listening to this podcast. When should they be thinking about a, a service dog as a part of their life? You know, anytime uh, that they have had a medical professional acknowledge that they do have a form of PTSD or any kind of um, military related struggles in life, which a lot end up having, um, even ones that have not seen combat or have not even been to war. Um, like my husband, he still struggles with a lot of different retrospects. So anyone that has a medical professional that is willing to sign for them and say that this is a need, um, I definitely encourage them to look into it. Um, they 
become part of your family, but they also have such a a way of calming and um, giving a sense of security that I've seen um, my husband benefit just from the short amount of time that we have had uh, Fern. So if they get onto the Canaan Companions website and all they have to do is apply. Now, are, are there uh, support groups or webinars or how can people who either are thinking of a service animal for themselves or, or know a family member or a friend who might, you know, benefit from having a relationship with a service animal. Tell us both of you, tell us more about how people can, can get more information and, and explore the options. Yeah, well, you know, if if you think a canine companion service dog might be right for you, definitely go to canine.org slash apply and check it out. We, um, you know, Stephanie mentioned veterans. That's a, a huge part of our program that we're just really honored to serve um, folks who have served our country. Um, and these dogs can really be life-changing. We've just heard so many incredible stories. Um so, you know, if you're looking for a canine companion service dog, potentially, uh, please go to canine.org and learn more, canine.org slash apply. Um, and if you're, if a canine companion service dog might not be right for you or you need, um, you know, a different type of service animal uh, that we don't provide, uh, anyone can go to ADI, which is for Assistance Dogs International. So if you go to assistancedogsinternational.org, that will give you listings of, um, you know, assistance dogs organizations that have been accredited um, in your area. So we always tell people, you know, go to an ADI accredited organization. Um, We are a founding member of uh, assistance dogs international and it's really a a international um kind of sounding board for um making sure that these dogs are really the best of the best so you always want to go to a, an accredited organization well that, that's a good a good you know you know warning for people make sure that that just like in other walks of life where there's a, a, a organizations that focus on quality control it sounds like your industry ha- has this organization as well yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, at Canine Companions, we certainly want to make sure that service dogs are presented in the best light and are the best that they can be. Um, so it's very important to us. And, uh, yeah, we really encourage people to apply if they're interested and, and look into it. Um, you know, you, you Stephanie mentioned how um, really just having their pet has been so, so wonderful for her husband. And um, I always just describe like our service animals. I think it just take it to the next, just that next step where, you know, Stephanie mentioned, if you have a, you know, a professional that's, that's decided that you have post-traumatic stress disorder, um, from your time in service, um, you know, our dogs can not only interrupt nightmares and interrupt anxiety behaviors, but they'll also provide extra space in public by doing some positional commands, um, and other things. Um, one of our veteran graduates actually said he was never going to be able to, you know, watch a fireworks show on the 4th of July with his family. And after being matched with his service dog, he actually went to Disneyland with his family and watched a fireworks show with his service dog by his side. So it can just be really life changing. I bet. Nice. Um, now I, I was reading about how certain dogs could be trained to detect, um, you know, certain types of illnesses and diseases and help people with diabetes. Uh, tell us more about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. I mean, dogs are just incredible the way they can work. Um, we uh, do have a partnership with an organization that's close to our headquarters, Early Alert Canines. Um, they generally provide dogs to people who have diabetes. Um, recently, though, they did train a few dogs who are actually sniffing out COVID. Um, so that's pretty incredible. So um, yeah, dogs can do, I mean, all types of incredible work. We also have dogs that sometimes will go into work um, with MSA, like bomb sniffing, um, search and rescue. Um, these are dogs that are a little more high energy for our program. Um, so, so we look at, you know, what other jobs can they do? Right. But with diabetes, which is such a, a common problem, you're saying that before someone might have a, you know, the, the, where their blood sugar is all goofed up at the moment, they're about to have a, a bad reaction. You're saying the dog can detect that in advance? Yeah, detect it and actually alert them that that's going to happen. And, you know, I'm not an expert in this in this type of service animal since Canine Companions doesn't provide these types of service animals. But what I understand the way it helps, um, also for people with seizures, um, seizure alert dogs and diabetic alert dogs, most of what it is is that they're alerting the person before it gets dangerous. So for someone with diabetes, alerting them before their, dr their blood sugar um, drops, you know, in a in a dangerous way, um, so that they can get to a safe spot and, you know, change that. Or for someone with a seizure, the ability to know that it's going to happen before it happens. So you can, you know, maybe sit on the ground or get in a safe space. Um, so it's pretty incredible. Right. Cool. Nice. Now the three of us, you know, we love dogs. We've said that here, but, but, uh, for people who are just trying to come to speed on, on service animals in general, what other kinds of, of animals other than dogs can, can also be effective in, you know, in terms of, uh, becoming a service animal? Uh, I believe right now the law still states, um, service animals are, um, dogs or miniature horses, um, which would be obviously a little tougher to get around at times. So we find dogs to be pretty perfect. Um, so other animals can't be service animals, but can certainly be emotional support animals. Right. Well, let's see. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, ask you in our conclusions here about, uh, different ways to volunteer. But before we get to that, I just wanted to make sure, Michelle and Stephanie, is there any topic here that we haven't covered yet that you wanted to bring up with our listeners? Oh, gosh, no, I think we kind of covered it all. I just, um, we're just really, really grateful to be here and, and really appreciate uh, your time and excited for your listeners to learn about our program. You bet. And it's, and it's great to have you on the podcast. And, and I know there's, you know, a lot of people listening that might know, know someone who, you know, uh, potentially could be a good match for a service dog. And you've, and you've mentioned a couple times how to explore that. Let's talk about the volunteer side, you know, where, you know, Stephanie is one of your great volunteers, but you, you've, you both have mentioned there's these different opportunities, you know, for volunteers, you know, there's the, the, the breeding phase, and then there's the puppy raising phase. And then there's, of course, if fundraising and so forth. Go through the different ways people out there who love dogs and, and uh, want to help, you know, your not-for-profit organization and organizations like yours. What are the different ways to volunteer and how can you uh, apply to become a volunteer? 
Yes, thank you. Um, you know, when I realized you brought up a great point that I don't think I mentioned, and shame on me if I haven't mentioned this yet, um, Canine Companion Service Dog, each service dog and a lifetime of support and follow-up services are all provided completely free of charge. So they're valued at about $50,000, you know, the breeding, training, sure. um, the, the follow-up services, everything that goes into it. It's about $50,000 per team. And we're able to provide each dog and everything free of charge to our clients. Um, so that's really incredible. And that is really because of the work of all of our volunteers and the generosity of our donors. So I just... I. I needed to say that and sure. thank you so much. Um, so first, like we mentioned, breeder caretaking, like Stephanie, and she's met, I think she just so wonderfully mentioned how wonderful it's been for her whole family. And I just love that the kids are involved, um, which is also wonderful socialization for our puppies, right? They get to meet some kids and be around a house full of kids. That's great. Um, so breeder caretakers who live within 90 miles of Santa Rosa, California. We also have puppy raisers all over the country who raise these dogs, um, you know, take them to work every day, uh, take them, you know, wherever they're going that's appropriate for the dog so they can really get ready for, for service work. And then, like you mentioned, we have volunteers who plan fundraising events for us, um, raise awareness in, in their community, you know, do presentations for us, things like that. Um, and we welcome anyone who wants to come get involved. We'd love to have you. Uh, you can go to canine.org to learn more about these volunteer opportunities um, and find a volunteer chapter near you. So we do have six training centers across the country, but we have amazing chapters of volunteers like Stephanie and her family um, all over the country. So we'd welcome you to join one. Like how many volunteer chapters just roughly exist in the country? Because we have listeners all over the place. I think it's about 28 or 30 across the country in most major cities. Um, and um, certainly um, volunteers outside of those as well. So it's not to say that you wouldn't have volunteers near you if you're not right near a, a volunteer chapter. But we do have a ton of volunteer support all over. Gotcha. And so you mentioned that puppy raisers can be located anywhere, you know, in the country. How, how do you physically get the puppy to the puppy raiser? Yeah. So puppy raisers will either pick up their puppies at their nearest training center, or sometimes our puppies are flown uh, to their puppy raisers by incredible private pilots. So I guess that's another volunteer opportunity wow. that I forget to mention because not everybody has a plane and a willingness to fly puppies. Uh, but if you do, we do... Um, uh, these amazing private pilots have been flying our puppies across the country to meet their puppy raisers, which has really saved us a lot of money um, in in shipping the pups over. Uh, and also, you know, the pups have never flown so well. I mean, who can say they've flown on a private plane? Our puppies. Can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. Uh, what a great cause, really. Uh, Michelle Williams, Stephanie Lund, from Canine Companions. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Oh, we really appreciate it. It was great. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to today's Fight Back podcast. Our mission is to provide you with the healthcare resources and information in a refreshing and interesting format. I also want to thank Michelle and Stephanie for such great information about service animals. For more information, please visit our website at www.healthcareconsumerrights.org. While on our website, you can check out additional podcasts 
or access more information and resources to help you navigate our healthcare system and get the care you deserve. We also welcome your input and topic ideas that you can share with us so that we can use them on future podcasts. This is Steve Poisner, and this is Fight Back, a podcast by the Healthcare Consumer Rights Foundation. Thanks for listening. I look forward to our next podcast. Talk with you soon.